Hey guys, this is Stowe Bishop with Radio Rothbard, and I wanted to let you know about an exciting event we have coming up on September 23rd in Nashville, Tennessee. One of Ron Paul's favorite lines was, truth is treason and the empire of lies. Americans around the country are waking up to this reality, war across the globe, regulating free speech at home, printing trillions of dollars. The regime accepts no limits to its power. Speaking on this topic, we all have brave truth tellers, including Ted Carpenter, Michael Rechtenwald, Jonathan Newman, and many more. Again, this is on September 23rd in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. You can find more about this event and get your tickets at Mises.org slash Nashville 23. Welcome back to Radio Rothbard. This is Stowe Bishop, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and executive editor of Mises.org, Ryan McMakin. And we are joined today by a special guest, a friend of the show, a multiple-time Mises Research Summer Fellow, a PhD candidate at George Mason, Manuel Garcia Gojan. Uh, Manuel, how are you doing this morning? Good, so thank you for having me. Yeah, so the, the topic of today's show is a news story that I've been following for a while now. Manuel and I, we, we've had several conversations about this at Rothbard Village uh, for, for well over a year now. And it is Argentinian politics, uh, a fascinating conversation, uh, and particularly the recent performance in a primary by Javier Millet, who is a self-described anarcho-capitalist a uh, Rothbard uh, fan, a uh, uh, Austrian ec economist in his own right professionally. He has a dog named after Murray Rothbard himself. And he, while he has been seen for a while now as a serious candidate, a viable candidate, he vastly overperformed expectations with having more voters come out for him in a primary than the combined results of the two major political parties in Argentina. The current ruling party is a left, leftist Peronist party. Um, their current candidate is the current fi finance minister, which is a bold choice considering the double digit or the triple digit inflation you have in the country and a lot of economic angst there. And then you also have kind of a more traditional candidate. And of course, this has sparked all sorts of cries from the mainstream media warning about this extreme fringe right-wing candidate who is bringing the spirit of Trump and Bolsonaro into Argentina. And I think that is a good starting spot to begin. Uh, Manuel, as obviously, you know, we, we are not um, political cheerleaders. You know, campaign rhetoric turning into policy is, is a different question entirely. But can we start by just, can you explain to our audience who is Javier Malay and perhaps why are some of these parallels being drawn between people like Donald Trump, people like Bolsonaro, and, and maybe some of the differences amongst those figures? Well, I think the, the links um, drawn to them, to Trump and Bolsonaro, are especially um, done so because Javier Millet himself uh, has expressed a sympathy for their projects and for their uh, uh, administrations. Though it really is very different uh, in the case of Argentina, it really is different in the case of Millet, um, because even though he is energetic and, and he does agree with certain things, 
um, the Trump and Bolsonaro uh, had going for them. Millet um, is an academic to a very large extent. I think to sort of have a, a point of reference or, or, or a way of comparing the situation, what, what's going on in Argentina with Millet is as if in the US you had someone like um, Dr. Peter Klein had gone uh, and became a pundit in, in CNN and Fox News and all these different uh, news programs and went there as a, as a full Rothbardian economist uh, arguing every, every single time every, uh, the same uh, arguments and, and, and very pure reasoning uh, in terms of the black and handicap argument uh, and then became a meme uh, over certain several years and then ran for president with the Libertarian Party and got 30% of the vote. Now, does that mean he wins the Electoral College? Uh, we don't quite know that yet. It, it's yet to be seen in, in the equivalent uh, next step, which is a general election. And if no one gets to 40%, um, then uh, second round. Uh, but right now, as things stand, it's more probable that Billy does become president than not. And that's reflected in betting markets right now. He started off last week as a kind of the third leading candidate within betting markets. He is now the leader. And a timeline for our listeners is that while this primary happened this past weekend, the general election is in October, um, just to kind of help provide some, some scope there. And so what is it, how, how is Malay resonating right now? When we look at Argentina's economy, you know, it seems financial crisis in Argentina, you get one every decade. Um, again, you have triple digit inflation, you have a lot of anxiety, particularly with younger Argentinian generations that, you know, Argentina not that long ago, right, was one of the most prosperous countries in the Western Hemisphere, now less so. You have, again, a lot of that economic anxiety that Malay is seeming to be able to tap into. Can you just explain kind of the economic environment that is kind of creating the setting for, again, this, this self-proclaimed self ANCAP being able to have this sort of political juice? Yes, the narrative that has um, been able to propel Malay to the point uh, where he's right now includes this notion that Argentina started the 20th century being uh, one of the richest, if not the richest country uh, in the world um, in terms of like per, per capita GDP and all these different uh, wealth measures that everyone was flocking to Argentina at the beginning of the 20th century, immigrants from all over Europe. So Argentina has this place to go to, to, to get it. There was sort of like a, an, an Argentine dream type thing going on, like in the US, the American dream. Um, there was a sort of this uh, competition to see, well, uh, will, will Argentina and the U.S. continue to be uh, economic powerhouses in this sense? Um, and then over the course of the 20th century, you had uh, very... Um, very harsh situations in terms of institutions and in terms of policies where there were several um, military dictatorships and then th th there was uh, a lot of uh, 
socialist policies being implemented over this course of time. And that's seen as a cause for a general decline that uh, has been continued to be implemented and that the same policies are still being implemented um, in the 20th century. Uh, this year, they, they, they celebrate, um, widely celebrate the 40 years of the return to democracy after the last uh, military dictatorship. And there's this general notion that uh, democracy hasn't uh, achieved uh, its, its mandate. It hasn't delivered on, uh, on, 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 on the success and, and the prosperity that uh, it should have. Uh, not that they are uh, gunning against uh, or gunning for a military dictatorship again, but that um, the way things have been uh, going with the same old two parties, uh, the, the Peronists and the uh, radicals uh, who are part of the other coalition that ended up giving Macri uh, a win back in 2015. Um, they have not uh, delivered on, on having stability, on having prosperity, on, on putting Argentina on, on a course of uh, growth. So um, there's this narrative, there's this hope, and there's this uh, anger towards the politicians. That's the, the general uh, situation right now. So let's look a little bit at uh, Malay's actual platform. Um, I, uh, and I want to be clear, right, that we know that there's always a difference between what uh, elected officials say they'll do when they're running and what actually does happen after they get elected. Now, in some cases, uh, there is no connection whatsoever. <laughs> Such as someone like Trump, who five minutes before he's elected criticizes the central bank for inflating too much, and then 10 minutes after he's elected starts telling the chairman of the central bank to inflate more, um, and that becomes his obsession. So, I mean, here's a guy who just says whatever. Um, now, Gohon, or uh, not Gohon, of course, Malay, uh, probably uh, – has brothers probably actually some true believer uh, in this guy, and I think he, uh, I I agree with Manuel that he probably would like to actually implement this. Whether that's going to be possible or to what extent uh, remains to be seen. However, from the platform itself, I mean, certainly better than any of the other candidates that I'm seeing in this case, and certainly better than most all candidates in the Americas from. Uh, what I can tell. So, uh, I, I mean, we're talking about big tax increases here. We're talking about simplification of the bureaucracy. Uh, we're talking about liberalization of trade. Uh, and, I mean, he talks in public about uh, basically abolishing the central bank in Argentina. So, these are pretty radical uh, solutions that he's providing, and I mean that in a good way, it's actually quite remarkable this, that anybody's voting for this guy, uh, given how uh, overwhelmingly uh, distinct this platform is from what you're getting 
uh, from most candidates. And so I actually don't see really many comparisons to Trump here at all. I mean, Trump's position has always been print a few trillion dollars and spend it. Uh, it couldn't care less about any sort of fiscal responsibility, whereas that's a major component of the platform that I'm seeing here. So it's the sort of stuff that would be political poison in a lot of countries, uh, scaling back taxes, massively cutting spending, uh, at least reining in the central bank significantly, and abolishing tariffs. Um, that's the sort of stuff that would get the regime absolutely hysterical against you in the United States. Uh, and so I'd, I, I would say that, yeah, this platform uh, we're not talking about some weak tea platform here where, oh, this guy wants slightly larger tax increases than the other guy. These are some major uh, reforms. So I guess it probably reflects then what Manuel is saying here about how it's difficult to uh, deny that the current regime has destroyed the economy and maybe a significant departure from the status quo is finally warranted. It kind of reminds me of like, the, the old Ron Paul he had a great uh, a great commercial about uh, you know we're, we're gonna cut taxes by by uh, cut spending by trillions with a T and it made all these various government departments kind of disappear in a puff of smoke and it's like that, that's how Ron Paul rolls and I kind of feel like that's the sort of energy that, that Malay is trying to interject with, with with his platform there. Yeah, and even of course Ron recognized that even if you came in on day one, you can't just overnight abolish. Uh, federal departments. Um, of course, you can de-prioritize uh, them significantly. But I remember just his his plan was to simply, this was, of course, in uh, 2012. He was just talking about cutting back federal spending to 2009 levels, which, of course, was a totally reasonable proposal. Um, but which, of course, because spending had exploded after the Great Recession, but was portrayed as just crazy pie-in-the-sky sort of stuff. Um, which should not have been the position, simply cutting it back to a federal level of spending that was uh, accepted by everyone as perfectly acceptable three years beforehand, but now suddenly that's a hugely radical position. So I expect then uh, Malay will encounter the same problems if he's elected. However, if our model is something like the abolitionists, which Rothbard, that was always his position, is our model should always be the abolitionists, which was to constantly press the uh, the ideal situation further and further out beyond the status quo. Whether you can achieve that in the short term doesn't matter. You need to push the goal out further and further, and then you can negotiate from there. So I would say, sure, he's beginning from a very radical uh, starting point in terms of negotiating with the established powers in Argentina, and I just don't really see a bad a downside to that at all. There's definitely certain elements of um, strategic sequentiality and which uh, parts of the budget are going to be cut. Uh, he has tried to um, do it in such a way that the least uh, amount of, of people will be disrupted in a sense that he does want to disrupt um, uh, certain groups of interest that uh, get uh, Get, get cuts from infrastructure projects and all these different things, but he wants to uh, have welfare uh, remain so that uh, he doesn't have this large mass of people to deal with. 
Um, and on the other hand, the liquidation of the central bank is a controversial um, is a controversial proposal in Argentina, in the sense that um, everyone in, in in the media talks about well, what other country is without the central bank? Why would you do this? Um, but it has resonated a lot more in the case of Argentina because uh, historically they have had a lot of hyperinflations and a lot of uh, inflation in general that uh, independence of the central bank when trike has not worked and uh, then there's this uh, argument to be made that, that is being made that uh, beyond just like our notion of central banks are bad this notion of in the case of Argentina we cannot trust politicians with it because they'll uh, go back to their old ways and, and and put us in this crisis again. And Manuel, can you talk a little bit about what his plans are for monetary policy, um, at, at least in the short term? Again, the, the article that you have on the power and market um, right now you know, touches on a variety of different planks in the platform. Um, but I, I think one of the most interesting ones is his approach to monetary policy and his embrace of dollarization. And I, I've, I've seen this on Twitter, right? You know, obviously, you know, we have this perspective where if, 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 you're, if you're a Mises fan in America, right, the Fed is the source of all of our problems, which is true, right? The, the Fed is, is the bad guy. And yet, when you're looking at it from a, a country like Argentina, and you have their institutions, you know, objectively worse, like the performance has been you know, far, far worse than what the Fed has, has done, trying to find a way of creating a viable alternative in the short term to kind of take out that political control of the money supply. You know, I, I think back to some conversations I had with friends from Eastern Europe who talked about, um, you know, it's kind of similar in, in some ways to, to using a, a currency board or, you know, other sort of proposals that kind of remove that direct political influence on the money supply within sort of that political context of the nation. You're kind of outsourcing your money, monetary supply in some ways to, in this case, the Fed with, with dollarization. Um, and he's also said good things about Bitcoin. He said good things about, about gold, right? You know, he, he is not, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a diehard believer and you know the Federal Reserve as some benevolent institution, but can you talk a little bit about why dollarization would be attractive to a candidate like Malay as a starting point for a solution to a country that again has dealt with a whole lot of financial and, and monetary instability? Malay himself is not a cheerleader for the dollar, the U.S. dollar. It's just that his proposal um, includes um, free competition of currencies and of other commodities to serve as currencies. Um, and the reality is that it's the Argentine people, the, 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 everyone who, who, who actually uh, transacts and, and, and holds currency, that they are the ones who are going to choose the US dollar um, because of its relative stability, because of uh, its uh, status already around the world. It's that um, they wouldn't choose another currency because they don't know about other currencies. Perhaps they could they, they could go for the euro, they could go for, for gold. It's just that they're not used to those. They, they're already used to the dollar. So the default when you get rid of the peso is the dollar. 
Right, and we should note that globally, uh, several countries do straight up have the dollar as basically their only currency. Um, there's Ecuador, Panama, El Salvador, which part of the reason why uh, the president there has uh, been trying to uh, switch over to uh, Bitcoin is part of the strategy there is to escape the dollar. Um, but a lot of these countries, they end up on the dollar because their local currency collapses. So they just adopt the dollar. And I've seen some economists, and, I, and indeed some of the economists associated with us, have supported outright uh, mandated dollarization. This is where your country's only currency now is the dollar. And uh, some free market people support that because then it takes in that country at least uh, control of the currency out of the hands of local central bankers. So it's just this idea of, well, we're using the dollar now and our local, our local national government uh, cannot manipulate that for political gain. Uh, so that that in some ways uh, takes power out of the hands of the regime here in, say, Ecuador or Panama. Uh, of course, it places you then at the mercy of the U.S. Central Bank. But you could see why many countries think that being at the mercy of the U.S. Central Bank is a fair trade because the U.S. Central Bank at least hasn't had 100 percent inflation uh, any time recently. So uh, that's that's just generally what we're talking about when we're talking about de when we're talking about dollarization. Um, this is not pegging your currency to the dollar. This is straight up using the dollar in your country. So if you're an American, you were to go to Ecuador tomorrow, you would just take your dollars with you uh, and spend them there. Now they do often have their own local currency, like for small coins and small bills and things like that, but. That's a little bit different. But it sounds like, Manuel, what you're saying is that Argentina would would not be would not dollarize in that sense, in the sense of Panama or something like that, but would just simply have more free-floating uh, local currencies where there wouldn't be all the currency controls that you have now uh, with the peso in Argentina. Yes. So um, it is interesting to note that in the 90s, they did have, for a period, a convertibility one-to-one -one, uh, with the Argentine peso with uh, the U.S. dollar. And this has been part of the conversation during this campaign where it, it's uh, argued that was not enough. Uh, we need to get rid of the central bank altogether because when the time came, they disrespected the rule and they uh, ended up uh, overdoing the deficit and overdoing uh, the monetary emission, the monetization of debt. And that's where uh, what got us uh, to, to this point uh, around 20 years ago. Um, and in the sense of it's not that they're going to mandate the use of the dollar. It's not that uh, it's going to be forced upon the people. Uh, it's just going to be allowed. Uh, that, well, the liquidation uh, is probably operationally going to be done in U.S. dollars. They're going to get the U.S. dollars and, 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 and trade, in, trade out the, 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 the Argentine pesos in the banks. And a lot of uh, bank accounts are going to be denominated in, in U.S. dollars, but they're going to open the door for contracts and bank accounts and, and, and commerce and prices to be expressed in other things like gold or oil or anything that uh, people might come up with. And I think we should note for the listeners that this is not like a recent thing either, all this demand for the dollar down there. Um, 
I mean, just looking at the, the recent history in Argentina, right? They had a financial crisis from 1998 to 2001, huge inflation, um, banks going under, uh, all the stuff you would associate with a major financial crisis and massive loss of international value for the peso. Then they had growth until about 2015, but really for the last seven years, at least eight years, um, the situation, the economic situation has been very weak with risk of default on government bonds, uh, capital controls trying to uh, cut down on the people trading in their pesos for dollars. And there's just been a huge demand uh, for dollars um, since at least 2016, it looks like. So, yeah, I, I mean, I hadn't really thought of this, but you're right. It seems that if they were to offer just if, if the dollar was to have a, some sort of even legal playing field with the peso, I guess it wouldn't take long at all for just the regular people to switch over as fast as they could, because that, that trend is already well in place. Exactly. It's estimated that um, people in Argentina have over $300 billion under their mattresses, which is like a 10 to 1 factor to, to um, the monetary base of the Argentine peso. And let's talk a little bit about some of the the fun stuff that is kind of baked into this campaign. Because I think it's interesting from like a Rothbardian uh, populist sort of perspective that it seems that one of the things that Malay has really been able to build for himself, and part of it, as you mentioned, you know, he, he was kind of a meme before he was a politician. I, I think for our audience, if, if you can think back to like the Peter Schiff was right sort of stuff that was going on in like 2012. I think that's kind of the closest sort of proximity here of sort of that economic pundit that's calling everyone, you know, this is just outing the, the stupidity and the insanity of various types of, of government policies and the like that kind of captures that sort of anger and, and that frustration, um, you know, in, in a way that really is, is resonating. You know, some of his language choices are, are very entertaining to see He's talked about kicking Keynesians and collectivists in the butt, though he doesn't say butt. Um, he's really kind of made the rallying cry uh, against the political caste and casting out all of these politicians. You know, he, he, you, you mentioned your article about attacks on the, the, the benefits and the privileges that government ministers have, removing their car details, um, restricting ministries, and the like. And so I think this, this broader dynamic of, and again, I think this kind of taps into some of the more superficial comparisons to, to Trump and Bolsonaro, where, you know, he's sort of a, a guns blazing sort of guy, you know, this, this big threat to the status quo. And it'll be interesting to see how that resonates in, let's say, a second round of elections where you have voters that either support, you know, and you still significant numbers, you know, the left wing party or the right wing party. Their, their, their own politicians, their preference between Malay or you know, the enemy they know might be very different than what the base views in this sort of regard. But what, what I, I think is particularly fascinating with this is that along with this anger, this, this valid, righteous, you know, power versus liberty style, boiling anger, um, you know, the, the, again, that, 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 that classic sort of Rothbardian populist sort of perspective here, this is a guy that is not simply content with sort of making economic libertarian arguments, but has made a, a larger case against coercion as a means for governing society. 
Um, there is a voter mandate within Argentina, and he said, well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't think anything should be mandated. Um, I know he got into some trouble um, politically for talking about um, the ability to create a market for, you know, organs and the like, you know, so, so this is some, some, some sort of Walter Block style libertarian, um, you know, sort of conversations being interjected within this. And it kind of reminds me in, in a very romantic sort of way, the, the sort of lifting of tides that Ron Paul's campaigns brought where, you know, you have college students handing out, um, I, I saw little notebooks with like, you know, so some of the, the Mises graphics of like Hazlitt and, and Bomba Varick and, and, and that, and so there, there is this interjection of ideas beyond the politics, beyond the elections, um, you know, beyond everything that comes with the democratic process. It seems that this is sort of a, a, because of the energy and the way that he's been able to frame this, this political dynamic of us versus the parasites ripping us off, that it is interjecting, again, a, a deeper level of ideas beyond simply economic reforms that seems encouraging, not simply from Argentina, um, though obviously this is you know, kind of the direct benefactor there, but in terms of perhaps a, a broader sweep that we have the possibility of having within South America with other institutions trying to do similar work, whether it is UFM in Guatemala that has a great um, university there promoting libertarianism ideas and, and Austrian economics, whether it is the work of Mises Brazil and Rothbard Institute within Brazil that's trying to create, that, that, is, that is incubating a class of, of academics familiar with our, our, our school of thought, whether it is some of these other areas. And I know uh, in, in Mexico, um, there are people, you know, there's been successful Students for Liberty events and, and again, again, organizations dedicated to this broader ideological shift rather than politics narrowly. And so, Manuel, how do you see that aspect? So beyond the, the electoral results, how do you see Malay as a, you know, what do you see the impact here perhaps in terms of some of the, the intellectual dynamics, particularly with younger voters, younger Argentinians, um, younger people throughout South America that are seeing this, this, this interesting guy that likes to dance and, 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 and use some vulgarity here and there and, and you know, has these, you know, has this very iconic sort of sideburns and sort of wild man persona, but promotes, you know, really an, an older, underlying strong philosophical, ideological perspective kind of capturing with, with that broader political show. Yeah, I think, um, Libertarian ideas have been underestimated in, in their ability to have an impact, especially in the right context. I think the the case of the organ um, organ market uh, case is, is really interesting to, to think about. Emilei did not himself just come out of the blue and say, I want to do this. I want to have an, an, a market for organs. I, it's going to be like a main stage in, in my platform. It's not in the platform. It's not in the current plan. They were trying to like ask him stuff to trip him up, to, to, to get him to say things. Uh, and, and Millet being the person he is where he'll answer everything and he'll make arguments from a, a philosophical standpoint, fully answered his, his opinion that, uh, um, that, that he thinks that uh, organ markets are legitimate. And then you get uh, other situations where you have the, the, the media going out to the street, uh, interviewing people, trying to 
uh, and ask them, well, what do you think of, of uh, an organ market? Uh, Millet's talking about organ market, he wants a, an organ market. And, and we, we are then surprised because, um, of course, it's not like the mainstream position or anything, but there will be random people in the street who, who will go, well, why not? <laughs> Yeah, and I well, and I I think when you're just faced with the current reality, um, <laughs> what's the downside of trying something a little bit different? Um, especially when you can see how the country's being left behind by some other places like Chile, uh, which has been engaging in trade liberalization for 20 years, um, maybe 30 years, really. And Argentina has been really going in the opposite directions, and and Argentina's not doing nearly as well. So I, I would, it would seem that people more capable of critical thinking would think, eh, maybe now's a good time to try something different. And I think part, part, a strong part of it is that the right people are strongly vocal against these things. The uh, people who um, consider themselves to be uh, uh, like part of the intelligentsia or a certain class or a certain uh, media elite, uh, will will go out and, and, and say things. Uh, maybe they, they, they support the current government or they support the other party. And now there's a, a mass of people that are just so uh, against uh, both uh, uh, the current party and the other party that whatever their pundits will 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 uh, attack, they will start to consider as well. Why not? And um, Ryan, you, you mentioned Chile. Obviously, a few years ago, there was concerns because there was a rise in sort of left with leftist parties with sort of a mandate to rewrite the constitution. And thankfully, their support petered off when they actually kind of had to, had to recodify and vote on this process. They ended up losing. Um, obviously, you had the, the, the success of Lula over Bolsonaro. Again, we can talk about some of the details of the, the integrity of that election. Um, but it does seem, particularly with some, some of the successes we're seeing in El Salvador and the popularity um, that uh, you know, their, their president has throughout South America, that this might be an interesting dynamic of, again, sort of a, a, a backlash, just sort of the pink wave of South American politics that we've seen in recent years. And so, again, hopefully this is the start of, of a broader movement towards you know, Rothbardian, you know, Rothbardian economics, you know, you know, classical liberalism, and, and more liberty in South America. Well, one last a question, Manuel, before I leave you, I have to ask because it is one of the, the top things that I get asked on Twitter about Javier Malay by people in our circles is the World Economic Forum. You know, he, I, 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 I saw, can, can you can you can you talk a little bit about again? I, from my understanding, his connection there was that he he was on a panel in 2014, uh, talking about labor markets at an event in Panama. Um, but can you just talk a little bit about those that say, hey, look, this guy has a page on the World Economic Forum. Um, therefore, you know, and I, I understand again. You know, I, I don't think that is a necessarily an, an, an unhealthy sort of response, right? You know, World Economic Forum, very very spooky institution. I get it. But, but can you talk maybe just a little bit about people that have those concerns, that he's some sort of Manchurian candidate? Um, can you address those concerns before we get out of here? Yeah, so um, there are two reasons why it's not weird that he has a, a profile and that he at some point was uh, had a link to the World Economic Forum. Uh, on the one hand, 
his conversion to to Austrian economics and and, and to Rothbardian philosophy uh, did not manifest, but until about uh, less than ten years ago, uh, after 2014, it was uh, a bit sudden. He used to be a more neoclassical Robert Lucas type economist. Uh, I mean, he always had his. Uh, interesting uh, personality and character and all these different things, but um, he was not uh, he, he, he was not aware of, 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 of student economics, of, of Rothbard, of Hayek, of Mises, uh, until after. Uh, and the other thing is that he's been, for a very long time, the chief economist of one of the largest companies in Argentina. Uh, like a multinational company. So in that role, it's normal for him to um, go to these events where there are other people from uh, large companies uh, that he has to talk with. Yeah. And then I, I do want to, since Ryan, so often our podcasts are doom and gloom and why everything is going to hell. I, I do think that this is a, a point of optimism that our listeners should take away is I think it's very fascinating the extent to which you have not simply students gravitating towards Mises and Rothbard in our material, but you have established professional economists within South America. Uh, another one that immediately comes to mind is the finance minister for Bolsonaro, who was a proud uh, Friedmanite who then read Human Action and stated publicly that I thought I knew everything there was to know about economics, and then I read Human Action and I re realized I knew nothing. And so the, the, the extent to which you have established adult professional individuals that are coming across entrepreneurial economics and you know, the works that we publish and then changing you know, their entire framework, which is much harder to do as an older man when you have you know, an, a career built up around your credentials and the like, the fact that this is happening in places like South America, I think is one of the more, yeah, that, that's one of the things that gives me hope for, for the world as a whole. I'd like to see more of that happen in the US, we'll work on that. But in terms of global trends that people can take as, as optimistic, um, I, I think that is, is a very positive sign. And so do you have any, anything to, to add at the end here, Ryan? No, just that ideas matter. And if, uh, if you're gonna win in Latin America, you, <laughs> you have to actually convince people to choose a different path. And I mean, there once was a time in Argentina where it was seen as maybe a better place to go than California. Uh, this was the late 19th century. If you're an immigrant from Europe, where should I go? Should I go to California or should I go to Argentina? That's a hard decision to make. Now, of course, it's not a hard decision to make. Why? because they chose the wrong ideas. And that's, that's what made the difference. And so we need, to, uh, we need to be aware of that. And that's, of course, what the Mises Institute is all about. Well, give it five years with, with a Malay victory, and maybe Argentina will once again become more, more attractive than California <laughs> on its current route. Manuel, have any, any closing remarks? No, well, thank you for having me. Now, always great talking with you. Um, this has been Radio Rothbard. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. For Ryan McMakin, for Manuel, this is Tho Bishop. This has been our episode, and we'll see you next week.